This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Richard Zane, Chief Innovation Officer at UC Health and Professor and Chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Colorado. Dr. Zane, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, I know I always enjoy speaking with you because you're really very much on the forefront of what's happening in technology and healthcare, both on the clinical side as well as the operational side, and just some really cool things you're doing there at UC Health. So I, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. But for those who have just recently joined the podcast, uh, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your background? I would be happy to. As you introduced me, I'm the Chief Innovation Officer for UC Health. I'm also a practicing emergency physician, and I run a large academic department at a medical school and oversee the care of 24 emergency departments and 17 urgent cares in a very large virtual health footprint. I also have the honor of being the chief innovation officer for a large healthcare system in Colorado. UC Health or University of Colorado Health is a 13 hospital, almost seven and a half billion dollar system. We have over 5 million outpatient visits, emergency department visits, urgent care visits, uh, and virtual health visits. We have every manner of healthcare that exists in the United States from big megatropolis, tertiary, quaternary care hospitals to rural and frontier hospitals. We have a large faculty physician group. We have an employee physician group, many independent providers. And from a payer perspective, we have every manner of payer from fee-for-service to governmental to uh, risk. That's amazing to hear. And what a great network you've got there. Um, so many different aspects of healthcare you're covering, as you mentioned, the urban as well as rural areas. And, and really, um, you know, that covers such a large swath of, of our listenership and, and people who are uh, really trying to turn to, um, to us at Becker's to figure out, you know, what the best strategies are moving forward. So this will be a great conversation. Um, first and foremost, what are some of the opportunities that you're seeing in healthcare today, as well as the headwinds you have your eye on? So the headwinds are what everybody is reading about every single day, all the time. And I would really categorize them into three areas. One are regulatory headwinds, and they're quite substantive. Although healthcare has probably complained about regulation, just like any other industry in the United States, in the last year, it's really become exponential. The number of regulations and the imposition of regulation and the response to regulation uh, occupies so much time and so many people that it's hard to adjudicate how we respond. Uh, and you've seen this both on local levels and you've seen this now uh, on federal levels looking at things like whether facility fees should main be maintained or not, how you report income how you report community benefit, how you do or don't handle pharmacy prices, uh, and how you do or don't um, address Medicaid expansion, uninsured patients, et cetera. It's really, um, it's really becoming quite girthy. Uh, second are just pure and simple financial headwinds. Uh, payers are paying less or not increasing. Uh, they have increased dominance uh, compared to healthcare systems. And you've seen across the country that there's been an arms race for healthcare systems to get bigger and bigger. Uh, and payers have simply outpaced us. Payers are much, much bigger and probably better politically connected. And right now in the arm wrestle, uh, they are winning. 
So the financial headwinds and the regulatory headwinds are, are really uh, remarkable. And then the third, um, which is really our bread and butter, is there are more patients and they're sicker and they need more. And those are really the headwinds right now in healthcare. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point. And, you know, when you look at um, both the regulatory as well as the financial headwinds, as you said, something that all hospitals and health systems are looking at and, and really faced with some of the big challenges there um, with payers, you know, paying not enough <laughs> to cover the cost of, of, you know, the increased inflation, um, staffing shortages, those types of things. You know, so when you look at where you're at as the chief innovation officer, how does your role tie into some of these things? What are you doing on a strategic level to make sure that, you know, you are helping the organization grow and adding value going forward? So we are relatively unapologetic that innovation is one of our key strategic pillars. But if you have met one chief innovation officer, you've met one chief innovation officer. And if you ask 10 people what the definition of innovation is, you'll get 14 different definitions because it can mean everything and nothing. So for us, our innovation strategy is our IT strategy, is our virtual health strategy, is our quality strategy. It's, they're really all overlapping Venn diagrams. And when we think about innovation, um, we also think about intelligence, another term that can mean everything and nothing. And for us, intelligence means making better decisions in healthcare, whether that's a, clinician at the bedside choosing pharmacotherapy or an operator thinking about how to better organize infusion centers or operating rooms or an executive deploying how best to run uh, revenue cycle or deploy capital, uh, we really focus on decisions. And in order to make decisions, um, we have to think about what the problem statement is. And we're really acute on the problem statement which means we don't have large ethereal questions that we pose. We have problems that we identify, and then we look and see how we can solve those problems. And we most commonly will solve those problems by either looking and seeing who else may have solved those problems across the country and working with them to learn from them. Or if no one has really solved the problem, then we know it's a problem for probably everybody. And most of the time, we will identify a technology industry partner, large or small or medium, to help us solve that problem. And those problems are solved by one being crystal clear on what they are, uh, crystal clear on uh, what type of data we need to ingest and analyze to understand what the right answer may be and how to inform that answer. Most importantly though, is the ability to pivot. So we fundamentally believe that there is much more loss by indecision than bad decisions. But if you're going to behave that way and you're going to make decisions quickly, then you have to know when to pivot. Because when the facts manifest themselves that are contrary to your original supposition, you must pivot. And it turns out that facts don't care about your feelings. And once we think we have a viable solution, uh, we think about how to make it scalable. Because if it's just a solution for just me or just one hospital or just my system, it really is not a solution because if it's not scalable to most of the other healthcare systems and providers in the United States, it's not sustainable. So that's from a high level how we approach our problem statements and our solutions.
Absolutely. I, I really love that. And I think, you know, your point in facts don't care about your feelings, I think is a lesson that, you know, so many of us can it can take to heart and really see um, how you can make that energy innovation um, meaningful across the organization and, and being able to pivot, as you mentioned, quickly, um, you know, when things don't quite go as planned, it, it just seems so important. Um, and, and, you know, too, when you're thinking about how to grow and develop innovation within an organization, within a health system in particular, um, what do you see as being just the, the best place to um, start in defining that among the executive team and then in bringing that then down to the rest of the um, health system and, and everybody else within the network? Well, for me, innovation is almost synonymous with change. And if you are going to change, there has to be significant alignment on what it is you're changing, how you're changing it, who it affects, and why. And when you ask people about change, many people will say they love change, they want change, but what they really want is other people to change. So change management is exceptionally hard. Uh, healthcare is about people, process, and tools. Technology is just a tool. So it's all about how do we take those tools, have people use them, um, and put them into their processes. So in order for a tool to be successful, it can't make anyone's job harder. In order for a tool to be successful, it can't require anybody to take a pay cut to agree with you. Uh, and in order for a tool to be successful, it has to be right and it has to be functional. So our guiding principles around whatever you call intelligence or clinical decision support or prescriptive analytics or even AI is it has to be easier and not harder, the path of least resistance, fewer clicks, not more clicks, and bulletproof right. And we will never ask a patient, a provider, or an executive to leave their workflow. So that's how we approach innovation is we want people who see us as solving a problem. So in identifying a problem, the best problem statements come from the people who are doing the work. If it's a quality problem, I want the nurses and the providers at the bedside identifying this problem and saying, hey, um, you know, we order a lot of chest x-rays and we order a lot of studies and there are incidental findings that come back and we're not sure how to follow them up and we're not sure if we're getting all of them. That's a great problem statement. That's one that we're working on. That's one that we think we have a viable solution. Problem statements like, um, I would love to optimize ref cycle and make it less dependent on humans. That's another one. Another problem statement is we have a phone center, a call center that has hundreds of employees. Uh, in these hundreds of employees, because we live in Colorado now and the cost of housing has become astronomical, very difficult to keep them employed and we have significant turnover. How do we better use technology to make their jobs easier, to rely less on humans and to make it less local? So these are the types of problem statements that we look at. And then we think about how to solve them. And we think about the solution as scalable to places across the country, not just here. I really appreciate that. And, and certainly so such a great message and way to uh, look at innovation and look at um, becoming, you know, really a, an agent of change within the healthcare industry. From your perspective, I know we've talked a little bit about some of the financial challenges for hospitals and health systems right now. And so when you're an executive or on the executive team and thinking through, um, you know, looking at your budget, what do you see as being so important that you still need to make an investment with or a risk that's worth taking this year? And what comes top of mind to you? You can't not take risk and you cannot not make investments. I think that when you are faced with budgetary headwinds, um, it's both a 
challenge and an opportunity. And it gives you an opportunity to say, is this working or not working? And you have to make very difficult decisions that when things aren't working or are just muddling along, we're not going to do that. But when things are working, we are going to learn why they're working, why they're different, and we're going to double down and we're going to make investments in those areas. And when we make investments, we want to participate in the value creation. And that can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes it could mean money. Sometimes it could mean making a company more successful, owning part of the company, and our investment becomes more valuable. Sometimes it means that fewer people die because we've changed the way that we approach sepsis or we approach cancer care or we approach infusion uh, and everything in between. We also never lose sight of why we exist. We exist so that patients' lives are better, full stop. That's why we exist. That's why we come to work. That's why we have buildings. That's why we have 35,000 employees. Uh, there's nothing else there. Everything we do is in support of that. So if we're going to make an investment, we're going to make an investment that somehow impacts that. If the investment is value creation, we want the, uh, the product that we're making to help us deliver care. And if the investment has a return, it supports our mission. We are not a for-profit publicly traded company, we do not have to return value to shareholders. We're not private in that we are not owned by one single person. Uh, we are a not-for-profit company based in Colorado who provides services to Coloradans. That's such a great point. And, and I love that keeping the uh, patients in, in the community in mind or front and center with everything that you're doing and, and certainly um, the decisions you're making um, provides a lot of clarity, I'm sure, especially during times that are a little bit more challenging. Before we wrap up our conversation, where do you see some of the best opportunities for growth in the future? I think you can't open up any news outlet or any newspaper, if people still have paper newspapers, and not read something about AI, not read something about data. And I think it's important to understand what that means and what the implications are. People have thought about precision or personalized medicine for a long time. And what people used to think about personalized medicine is that we're gonna measure your genome, sequence your DNA, and find what parts of your DNA match certain illnesses. And now we personally know about your, we, now we know about your personal risk for health. But it's become so much more than that. It's not just genomics, it's omics in general. And it's not just DNA data, it's data in general. Uh, it's all of the clinical data. It's all of the outcomes data. How do we create and build these data sets that help us solve problems faster and more accurately? And not just around things that are traditional healthcare, like a patient comes to the hospital with a heart attack. What does the data say about the best way to treat that patient? We are doing that, and we're building those prescriptive analytics and hopefully the AI around that with partners. But it's also using enormous data sets that include the genomics of a patient, the genomics of a patient that may have leukemia, the genomics of those leukemic cells, the clinical findings on these patients with leukemic cells, with um, leukemia. 
looking to partner with pharma to think about drugs that didn't make it through phase two trials because there simply was not enough information. There were some patients where the drugs worked really well, but there were a lot of patients that it didn't. And these, these drugs are often on a shelf because you can't give it to all the patients with leukemia because some of them may get better, but some of them may not. We can now use these enormous data sets and many of the tools that have been built to match, to essentially match the right patients with the right drug. And that is a big part of the future for us. Now take that statement, right patient with right drug, and then right patient with right surgery, right patient with right, right series of interventions, right patient with the right type of preventative medicine, uh, right patient with insert here. That is really what the future is. So getting patients treated the first time successfully, or even more importantly, getting prevention for the right patient the first time successfully. That is where we're spending a significant amount of our time, our mental energy, our capital, and our partnerships. Well, fantastic. Dr. Zane, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I think that's so uh, so smart of you to say, and really such a, an important thing for hospital health system leaders to keep front of mind. And I'm looking forward to as well, seeing you at our health IT digital health and revenue cycle event in October. Um, like I mentioned, I always learn a lot from you whenever we connect and um, I, I'm really excited for that and just to continue the conversation. Well, I can't wait to see you and be there. And I always learn a lot from the other people that I meet at your events and from the people who attend your events. So I'm looking forward to it.